0: ourselves with heavy hearts given, as Daniel mentioned in his prayer, what happened in our nation's capital on Wednesday, January 6 2021 what started out in actions, as a peaceful protest ended up with certain individuals attacking law enforcement. Which you wouldn't know because we haven't heard as much during these protests about Blue Lives Matter. But there was an attack on law enforcement. And then there was a raid on the building which houses the uh, Congress. Property damage was done. Our leaders, our government leaders had to go find refuge, a location that was unknown to the rest of us. What we saw on Wednesday was darkness. We saw people who are in darkness. We saw a snippet of a country that is in darkness. And not to sound like a prophet of doom, but if things don't change quickly, We will continue to be a nation of darkness, a people of darkness, a government of darkness. As we live in these dark days and in these dark times with dark people, is there a word from the Lord? for these dark times. Run with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter number four. Matthew chapter number four. Beginning with verse number 12. I believe there is a word from the Lord right here in the series that we're going through. For a time such as this, Matthew chapter number 4, beginning with verse number 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Caponium by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali. So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of, of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. until this point in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew has been preparing his readers for the coming of Christ and the ministry of Christ. Heretofore he has laid out the credentials of Christ. If we remember in chapter 1, he shows us that Jesus comes from the proper bloodline as he is a legitimate son of David. In chapter 2, he tells us of the miraculous conception of Christ by way of the Virgin Mary. And in doing so, he removes any doubt about Jesus being born by way of Scandal. Then Matthew shows us that Jesus is the promised Messiah because he was born in Bethlehem just as it was prophesied in Old Testament scripture. Then in chapter 3, Matthew prepares us by introducing us to a new character by the name of John the Baptist. And it was his responsibility to prepare the way, as prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. He was to make straight the paths for the Lord. And then following that, we learned that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. And after Jesus came up out of the water, he received an endorsement by God the Father. When God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then last week we learned really what Matthew 4 verses 1 through 11 teach us, they answer the question, is Jesus the true son of God? Because we saw If we remember our Old Testament history, the children of Israel are called God's firstborn. They are called his son. But yet they failed when they were tempted in the wilderness. But yet Jesus succeeded where where, where God's first son failed. And all of this, up to this point, has been written to prove that Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Messiah and King. The preparation is done. Now we embark upon the public ministry of Christ. And the first thing that we learn as we get into the public ministry of Christ, beginning with verses number 12 through 17, is Matthew shows us the revelation of the light. The revelation of the light. Matthew tells us, beginning in verse 12, that Jesus withdrew into Galilee. Then in verse 13, we're told that Jesus settled in Carponium, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. Beloved, this is actually very, very interesting. The public ministry of Jesus is beginning. And he knows that he has a little under three years to do what he needs to do before his ministry is done on the earth. We know from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, that his mission on the earth is to save his people from their sins. His people, in that context, specifically refer to the people of Israel. So we see that Jesus has a very limited time on the earth, and he's here to save Israel from their sins. The question is why would he start his ministry in Galilee when he's on borrowed time? One would think that his base of operations would not be in Galilee which is north of Jerusalem but it would be in Jerusalem proper. The center of Jewish people and culture. So then why start north of Jerusalem in Galilee? Why spend most of his time in ministry so far away from Jerusalem? Matthew answers this question for us in verse number 14. Here's how it reads. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death, upon them a light has dawned. Matthew, once again, is showing us that Jesus fulfills Scripture. Before we move forward with the significance of this fulfillment, we first need to look back at the context of Isaiah, beginning with chapter 8, verse number 19. I'll give you a moment to turn there because this is, this is important to understanding the, quote, the, the quotation and I think the rest of this passage. Isaiah chapter eight, beginning verse number 19. At this time, Ahaz is king of, Judea, of Judah. And Ahaz was a wicked king. He reintroduced idolatry into Judah. Ahaz was so wicked that he sacrificed his own son on the altar for Molech, uh, an idol. And so we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 8. God is speaking to his prophet Isaiah, beginning with verse number 19. He says, and when they say to you, inquire of the mediums, And the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living to the teaching and to the testimony? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry and when they are hungry they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward and they will look to their earth but behold distress and darkness the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness. The prophecy here Is that God's people are living in darkness. Oftentimes, light deals with revelation. So if they are in darkness, here they are rejecting God, the revelation of God. They would rather hear from mediums rather than hearing from God. They are in darkness. And he says there will also be darkness on the earth because what was being prophesied is that the Lord planned to send Assyria to conquer them and deport them away from their land and back to Assyria. So these will be dark times for a dark people. If we keep reading into Isaiah chapter 9, we learn more, beginning with verse number 1. has light shone. These couple of verses here are a message of hope. In chapter, at the end of chapter 8, you have a message of doom. But here in chapter 9, you have a message of hope. The Lord lets his people know that the darkness will not last forever. Oh, that's a word for somebody in it here. We need to know in these dark times that the word of the Lord says that this darkness will not last forever. For people who are living in dark days and dark times, we need to be reminded of truths like weeping may endure for night, but joy comes in the morning. We need to know that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them. Are what we need to hear in these dark times is this too shall pass. It won't last forever. And so the prophet here, God says through the prophet that the lands of Zebulon and Naphtali, which, which in Matthew refer to Nazareth and Carponium respectively. Zebulon is Nazareth and Naphtali is Carponium. He says, they're going to be made glorious. The very people who once walked in darkness would see a great light, and that light would shine on them. But who or what is this light? Just keep on reading. Isaiah chapter 9, go with verse 6. Here it is. For to us a child is born. Beloved, these verses clearly speak to the Messiah. Therefore, Matthew reveals to us that Jesus is the fulfillment of this promised light. Jesus is the light and is now shining on Galilee of the Gentiles. Why call it Galilee of the Gentiles? Because when Assyria would come and raid Jerusalem, they would go through this area of of Zebulun and Naphtali. And, And so that area would now become a mixed area. Assyria would send some of its people and there would still be Jews. And so it was such a mixed area that they start calling it Galilee of the Gentiles. So Jesus comes to the darkest area first to shine light. And to be the light so Jesus then is clearly the light that was promised and is now revealed Jesus is the revelation of God and Jesus is the one who, as the light who will liberate his people from their enslavement to sin Jesus will turn their mourning into joy and beloved in times of darkness We put our hope in the light of the world. Jesus tells us then what to do in times of darkness. Look at verse 17. Here is how it reads. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' word for times of darkness and people of darkness and living amidst darkness, here is the word from the Lord. Repent. Beloved, those, let me speak clearly, plainly, flat-footed, and boldly, those who desecrated our capital and attacked law enforcement on, on Wednesday need to repent. Those who continue to perpetrate lies and unfounded conspiracies need to repent. Those who excuse, yes, yes, those who excuse and validate the conduct of those violent protesters need to repent. Those who incited violence with their words and, yes, I'm going to say it, their tweets need to repent. Watch this, the church for her silence needs to repent. The church for her political idolatry needs to repent. The church for replacing the hope of King Jesus with the hope of a president needs to repent. The church for putting her hope in the Supreme Court rather than in the heavenly court needs to repent. So that's the word from the Lord for dark times. Repent. The king has come and the kingdom of heaven is here. So we see the revelation of the light. If there's still some people watching me, let me get to my second point. Now that the light has been revealed, how should men then respond to the light? That's what we find in verses 18 through 22 We see the response to the light, the response to the light. And we find the proper response beginning in verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 4. The text says, Jesus, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This verse makes it very clear that the response demanded by Christ is to follow him. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse number 12. He says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. To follow Christ is to be a disciple of Christ. And so in this one sentence of the words of Christ, we learn some truths about following Christ, about discipleship. Look with me, first of all, at the meaning of discipleship, the meaning of discipleship. Jesus says, follow me. Here's the cultural context. Jewish etiquette required a rabbi's disciple to walk literally behind his teacher. They would literally follow him. Where he went, they went. They would follow him in order to learn from him. Hence the term disciple, a learner. The goal, however, was not just to be a learner. The goal of following the rabbi was for the learner to become the teacher. The disciple was to become like the rabbi in both his beliefs and his behavior. And this is what Jesus calls all disciples to do. He calls us to follow him daily, and we follow him in order to become like him. The responsibility of every disciple is to imitate the teacher. That's the meaning of discipleship. But in this sentence from Jesus, we also see the mission of discipleship. Jesus says, follow me, here's the mission, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. You're not going to fish fish anymore, but you're going to fish for men. They they are not to fish for wealth or honor, not for fulfillment, not for status, not for gain. They are to fish for men's souls. And the question that I have for us this morning, Bridge Church, is how many of our New Year's resolutions are more like the former rather than the latter? What are you fishing for in 2021? Beloved, the truth of the matter is, the the events from this past week are evidence that we've got a lot more fishing to do. That's the mission. That's the mission. Follow fishers of men. But then in this text, we also see the mandate of discipleship. There's a mandate in following Christ. When Christ says, follow me, It's a demand, and here is what is mandated in response to that demand. Verse 20, here it is, immediately, 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 they left their nets and followed him. What's the mandate of discipleship? Immediate obedience. Jesus, beloved, allows no excuse for delay or disobedience. What we see here is that following Christ mandates radical surrender. Radical surrender. Look at what these men in our text give up. They left their livelihoods and their assets. Later on, we, in the next few verses, we see that two more brothers are called, uh, uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And the text says that these two were with their father. And Jesus calls them, and not only do they leave their livelihood and their assets, but they leave family as well. I think what we ought to take from that is that allegiance to Jesus is stronger than any earthly attachment. Rewind for the church, press play. Allegiance to Jesus is stronger than any earthly attachment. Oh, church of God, I think we need to know, after what happened on Wednesday, January 6th, that allegiance to Jesus comes first. Because we had a Jesus sign on the Capitol while darkness was happening. And I'm not sure, actually I am, I'm pretty sure, that many of those people who say that they love Jesus have more love for a, a, a political party, a politician, than they have for Jesus. And there needs to be repentance in the church. We hear this talk all the time of yeah, I'm all about God and country. The problem with that statement is God and country become equal, and that beloved is idolatry. Now, because I'm in this country, I'm going to seek the welfare of this country. That's what the Lord says in His book, I'm going to seek the welfare of it. And that's what we ought to do as people of God. but that should not be our primary allegiance. Jesus teaches that he is to have absolute priority over both occupation and family. The two idols, two of the largest idols in the church. Beloved, hear me clearly when I say that following Christ requires him being the supreme priority in our lives. Jesus demands total commitment. One commentator says, the problem today is that so many want to give Christ virtually a tithe of their life. That is one-tenth to him. And they want to keep 90% for themselves. And Jesus makes it clear that such will not do. Beloved, Christ doesn't want some of us. He demands all of us. Christ's call to discipleship is a call to make him our absolute priority. Beloved, here's an uncomfortable truth. The free grace of God costs us everything. Here's another way I say it. Salvation is free, hallelujah, but discipleship is costly. My kids, my, my children bring up almost daily, the two oldest ones, how much better their lives could be if I had stayed in corporate America. And to some degree, if I must be truthful, they are right. I suspect that by now, I'd be earning a six-figure income with generous benefits and a health retirement for my age, I would actually have a positive net worth. (laughs) Oh, I'm just kidding. However, that's not what Christ calls his followers to. Christ doesn't call us to a life that's all about cash, cars, and earthly comforts. He calls us to a life of total surrender. So what I've tried to model and teach with not much success right now, my children, is that the call to discipleship is a call to total surrender. Sometimes it's a surrender to future income potential, a surrender to upward mobility. But for some of us, The surrender is God allows us to make good money so that we can fund his kingdom agenda. That's the response to the light. Follow me and I will make you fishers of man. When we follow Christ, that is evidence of our repentance. Finally, let's look at the rule of the light. Verses 23 through 25. This last section is a summary of the ministry of Christ. We are told that Jesus went throughout all of Galilee teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But he also healed diseases and every affliction among the people. What we see is the light coming not just in a person, not just in word, but also in deed. That's what I want to focus here on the acts of Jesus, the light of the word, his miracles. We we must remember that both scripture and Jewish tradition take sickness and disease as resulting directly or indirectly from living in a fallen world. Therefore, when Jesus defeats sickness, He is demonstrating his power, his rule, his authority to overcome evil and darkness. Jesus is asserting his rule and his authority over sin and evil. Jesus is exercising God's rule over sickness and demons. Jesus, the light. And these miracles is dispelling the darkness. He's reversing the effects and the consequences of darkness. And his power, his rule is being displayed through these miracles. So when Jesus sends out his disciples later on, we'll see this in Matthew chapter 2. Uh, 10, he's going to commission them to preach the gospel of the kingdom, but also to cast out demons and to heal the sick. And so I think what we ought to take from this, this is me telling you to come here. We ought to proclaim the gospel, but we also are to show the power of the gospel, the the the, the effects of the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven here on earth by serving the real needs of people. And this week I was so encouraged by an encounter my wife had with someone this weekend. So I'm gonna invite her to the stage to, to share with us all.
1: Mm-hmm. So this week I was at work at my school, Um, I work in a high school in Andover, a suburb of Wichita. And I was there and a lady was there observing one of our uh, staff members. And so she was introducing me as um, an assistant principal there and I said hi to her and I noticed her badge um, had an apple on it that looked like she worked for Wichita Public Schools. So I asked her, where do you work? And she said, "Uh, Spate Elementary. I said, oh, I know Spate, our church is a partner with Spate Elementary. And so she asked, "Um, what church are you part of? And I said, "Uh, the Bridge Church. She said, oh, where would we be without the bridge? And she says, I started to ask you when you said your church was a partner I was going to list off the name of a church or two that we are familiar with. She said, but I didn't want to embarrass you um, if that wasn't your church uh, because some churches think they are better partners than they really are. Um, She said, but I'm so glad that you are part of the bridge. Oh, how we love you all. You, if there is anything that comes to mind that we need or that we think our children would benefit from and we have a request for someone, You all are the first people that come to mind to call on. She says, in fact, I had um, another idea that we were going to do, and our students haven't been able to come to the school to do it because of the pandemic, and I was going to call upon someone from your church because I knew that you might be willing to help us. And so in conversation, and this might not be related to his story, she says, "Uh, I might, uh. Contact uh, your pastor and I said what I'll tell you this I am married to the pastor um, So you can email him but he's gonna forward it to uh, to Emily um, Because he's not always the best at email so it might just be better for you to email Emily um, Instead but she said as we were leaving in our conversation There is a noticeable difference between when the bridge became a partner with our school And that did my heart well
0: But one, one of the reasons I had my wife come and share that story with you is one, because I do a horrible job of sharing stories of the difference that we're making and all the ways God is using us and blessing us. So I wanted to do that. But I also wanted to encourage us as well to know that we are making a difference. She said it is a noticeable impact. The difference that we've made From day one when we started partnering with them and the truth of the matter is we haven't even really scratched the surface of the level of partnership we're going to have with space but yet we are making a difference and so one that encouraged my heart and I hope it's encouraging you and so I guess as we would say as uh, old people used to say keep on keeping on that's what we got to do we got to keep on keeping on our outreach efforts are making a difference. They are making an impact. And so one of the reasons we serve the world, serve our community, is because we want to show, demonstrate, put on display what happens when the kingdom arrives. And as a local embassy, the church, this local church, an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom, we want to demonstrate in word and deed that the light has come into the world and what happens when the light shines in the midst of darkness. So I think we hear clearly what we are to learn and what we are to do as a result of this word. We ought to see the revelation of the light, receive the light. The light can either be accepted or it can be rejected. You can remain in darkness, Or you can walk in the light. Beloved, all people, all people are in darkness because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we are in darkness. But God has made a way for us to come out of darkness and live and walk in the marvelous light. God sent light into the world in the midst of a, in in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself was born, lived. But here's what he did to bring us out of darkness. He died for our sins. And when he was on the cross, darkness came over the earth. And he was buried. But bright early Sunday morning, he rose from the grave. Now we have light because of the work of Jesus Christ. So if you will believe, put all of your trust and faith and hope in Jesus Christ, you will no longer be in darkness, but you will receive the light of life. Jesus will forgive you for your sins. He will bring you out of darkness. Now you can walk in the light. For somebody else, the response is, that's how you repent. But for those of us who are saved, there's a different kind of repentance that's necessary. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We are living in the last days. So we need to repent. Respond to the grace of God through repenting. He says, Jesus says in here, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. How does your following look these days? Is your following Christ convenient and comfortable, or is it costly? I think the greatest idols in the church today are those of comfort, convenience, and security. And that we need to repent of. We also need to tear those idols down. Follow Christ. He says, I will make you fishes of men. How's that going? But then we also need to serve, display the power of the light in the midst of darkness. We are to be different. Next week we're going to hear, we ought to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, as Daniel prayed earlier, uh, he was praying for the president-elect and his inauguration, the... I believe Washington, D.C., the actual district, sent out requests around the nation for uh, assistance and making sure their inauguration is safe. And they sent requests to different police departments. And Wichita was one of those police departments that received that request. And the mayor said that they decided to respond to that request, and they are sending 50 officers from Wichita to D.C. this coming week to begin to prepare for the inauguration. One of the reasons I bring that to your attention is one of those officers attends our church. And so I think we need to cover him with prayer as he goes and serves and protects This historical moment in our history. So we want to say a prayer for our brother, Jess Hancock, and his family as he goes and serves in for this inauguration. So will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, you are so good. Lord, there is none like you in heaven or on earth. And so we glorify you, we give you honor, and we praise you. God, we adore you. God, we confess that oftentimes, rather than letting our light shine, we are active and willful participants in darkness. God, rather than letting our light shine, we sit in darkness just like Israel did. And so, God, we pray that you would forgive us Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon our nation, O Lord. Or please don't repay us according to the darkness. God, we ask for your forgiveness for not acknowledging the light of Christ, for not accepting the light of Christ, for not sharing the light, Of Christ for not displaying the light of Christ. So God now as we've heard you speak clearly through your word, convict, convert, convince. You have told us Lord not to just to be hearers of your word but doers as well. Transform us, change us, make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Now God, I specifically want to lift up my brother, our brother, Officer Jess Hancock, who has been chosen to serve and protect specifically for this upcoming inauguration for President-elect Biden. God, we thank you that you have shown him favor to be selected for this endeavor. God, we pray that you would keep him safe, that you would protect him from all evil, from all harm, from all danger. God, we pray right now that you would give him wisdom and discernment on how to react to whatever situations may come up. We pray God that he's able to be light for those who are living in darkness. God, we pray right now for peace that where there may be any kind of anxiety in his heart, in his wife's heart, in his children's hearts. God, we pray that we I pray, God, that we as a church will surround this family with love and encouragement and support, whether, even if it's just through praying this week for them. God, we pray in that there would not be ongoing division in your church where you have commanded us to be at peace with one another. So God, help us to preserve that peace. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.